Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham. Not joined, as always, by Colby Powell. Colby's off skiing. We hope he's enjoying himself, and hopefully he doesn't require another trip to the physical therapist with a new injury. But uh, instead of Colby, I'm going to have Bill Haston on, columnist from Tulsa World. Guy I have just a tremendous amount of respect for. I've come to know throughout my career working in the media. A guy I've always really enjoyed talking to both on the record and probably even more so off the record. But we're going to get Bill's thoughts on just everything that's going on with Oklahoma State football. And again, he's he's been around it for a very long time. I always enjoy his perspective. And without further ado, let's hear from Bill Haston and uh, we'll catch up with Colby next week. All right, without further ado, I'm now joined by Bill Haston, columnist from the Tulsa World, a guy that I've known for a very long time and someone I think I've always respected the most when it comes to covering Oklahoma State and really just covering sports in general. Bill, I've always enjoyed our conversations uh, privately and and just in public at games, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to have you on and dive into what's been a really wild <laughs> offseason so far for Oklahoma State. I appreciate you joining me, man. You're welcome. That's very that's very kind. Thank you. Uh, when were you? When would you have been a senior at Oklahoma State? Gosh, 2008 was my senior year. I kind of got hired by Channel Four midway through my senior year, to where I I still finished my last semester in the spring while working full time at at K four. So I joined at a good time. It was that Sam Bradford year, and then Des right. and Zach were just getting going. So it was a good time to get into the business. Well, keep in mind too at at. You know, Oklahoma State hadn't been in the top ten of the AP poll at any point since uh, 1988. I think they made a, a cameo uh, in the top ten. I think in '88, and so at mid-season in '08, talk about coming out of nowhere. Because keep in mind, Mike Gundy's first conference game in '05, Carson first conference game, home game against Colorado. And they got shut out, 38 nothing. Mike Gundy had the flu, miserable. And you're like, yikes, you know, this is not good. Especially in light of the fact that 04, second half of that season, had been pretty dismal, right? And so uh, so only three years later, Mike has Mike Gundy has OSU at seventh in the country, unbeaten midseason at Texas. Texas was number one. And I bet you were at that game. And uh, – they and ran OSU, the uh, middle screen to Dez on the final drive, yeah. and it didn't work. Yep, that's right. That's right. On a on a on a must convert kind of a play. Uh, yeah, it, it didn't work. And then, but even with that, the final play of the game, OSU's throwing a deep ball to try to win the game. So uh, that was a huge growth game for the program, uh, and a great season that didn't end particularly well. Uh, you know, remember Dez was unstoppable for a quarter and a half of the, of the bowl game against Oregon. And then he gets his knee hurt. And, uh, but anyway, that 08 season was a big time growth, uh, building block kind of a season for, for Mike Gundy's program. And then 09, their fifth after beating Georgia in the opener. And then, yep. and then hell <laughs> breaks loose with Kendall Hunter's foot injury, Des Bryant suspension, what a what a great preseason though! If you could just bottle up a great preseason, I wish <laughs> cover of SI. Yeah, 
I mean, exactly. it was kind of like Bush. this year where they came out gangbusters right. and it just fizzled out with injuries and, and things of that nature. But you're, exactly. you're illustrating, Bill, why I wanted to have you on. I mean, you've been with Mike and covered OSU pretty much every step of the way since he's been the head coach. And I just I wanted to get with you and discuss everything that's going on. I mean, for the reasons you're mentioning, just the, the remarkable job that Mike Gundy's done, it, it's bought him – um favor it's it's gotten him a seemingly a lifetime contract that rolls over and right. you know bill there's a lot of consternation going on right now with the program i don't have to detail them here everyone knows with all the transfers going in and out uh just kind of wanted to get your read on on everything that's going on with the transfer portal the this the unrest amongst the fan base with uh, potential coaching staff changes that may or may not happen just where what's right. your take on all this because i've talked about it for for weeks if not months well i mean the portal uh, well, I'll just address that first. I mean, it would be doubly shocking if Oklahoma State were like the Lone Ranger with regard to roster damage, except when you look around and you see programs like A&M and Arkansas and Miami of Florida and so many others that have just been gashed way beyond what Oklahoma State has. I guess what has been so attention grabbing at Oklahoma state is that the receivers room is so depleted now. And so many of those guys left, not to mention uh, your veteran quarterback before the bowl. So uh, no, it's been, and especially at a school, the whole foundation at Oklahoma state is kind of based on the whole loyal and true dynamic. Right. And then, so for guys to bail on the program, uh, the OSU people just aren't accustomed to that. And then, and then for a two-time Oklahoma Player of the Year, Braylon Presley, to bail after only a few months in the program, that was eye-opening. And, you know, uh, to have 57% of your run game in Sanders and Richardson, and they're gone now. And so, yeah, it, I mean, it's it's it was a uh, – from December 5 through a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it was just like – it was like, you know, day after day, it was almost like something every day for a month. Uh, with And then there's the, of course, regarding the chatter on the staff, you know, first of all, I got chewed out by uh, someone who said, I, shame on you for not, uh, or shame on me for not uh, interviewing uh, Casey Dunn to get his side of everything. And I'm like, <laughs> you need to understand that Mike Gundy won't let us interview Casey Dunn or any of the assistants. So like ever, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, so which is, you know what? What a barbaric media policy, Mike. Mike, for, for all the stuff that I respect about Mike and like about Mike, his media policies are barbaric and ridiculous. And I would even say at this point, you know, with you know, there's been. Uh, so many big steps with regard to athlete empowerment. And, you know, I, I think maybe Oklahoma State and other schools should rethink this uh, Iron Curtain approach on media. And and if, if, a, if a credible, if a legitimate media company says, I want, but we, we would appreciate an interview with so-and-so player. And instead of just having instead of just getting like stiff armed in the face and you're like, and like, you know, the answer for so long has been essentially hell no. Uh, why, why not give the athlete the option of saying, yes, I will do that interview or no, thank you. I'd rather not do that interview. I mean, let the athlete decide that. 
And then if you want, and if you insist on having a, a media relations person in the room or eavesdrop on it, I don't really care. It's not that I'm going to ask something that I wouldn't want Gundy or any of his uh, staff members to hear anyway. It's not. So, um, but with regard to staff, man, it's, it's always a delicate deal because, you know, do you, do you, you know, it's easy to say, well, yeah, you, you got to fire this guy. You got to fire that guy. And you think, well, if you really think about it, you're like, you're knocking a guy out of a job, although they've been paid really well. And it's not like they're going paycheck to paycheck. I understand that, but, but it does affect families. Like Mike said in the post game at the bowl. Um, and he did not handle that well at all. All he had to say was when he was asked by Marshall Scott, uh, about the possibility of staff changes, Mike should have and could have said, we're not going to talk about that tonight. And good night, everybody, and get up and walk out. Uh, instead, you know, it got a little heated. And uh, But I also believe that Mike got a little heated because he's probably been stressed about the thought of having to do some of this. And now he's lost Derek Mason. Um, so... I always think about where the program was and you were right in the middle of it. December, November, December of 09, January of 2010, the program was uh, on the offensive side. The program was stale and it was broken. And in the Bedlam game of 09 and in the Cotton Bowl loss to Ole Miss, Oklahoma State was three of 27 on third down. And they were hopelessly uh, just, just, overwhelmed uh in those games uh by the opposing defense they couldn't they couldn't move the ball they couldn't score uh you know actually had a chance really against Ole Miss to make it really close in spite of not being able to move the football but um I just thought at that point OSU was desperate Carson desperate for for a shakeup right something had to change and what was that shakeup it was Dana Holgerson and Dana was, it might years later, seven or eight years later, told me the most impactful hire I've made at Oklahoma State, other than Rob Glass, was Dana Holgerson. And, you know, everybody knew that Mike and Dana didn't necessarily, they weren't like 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 close friends or anything, because Dana was his own guy. Dana was an outlier. And he would, everybody else would go to work at 6 a.m. Dana would walk in at 10.30. And now, now Dana may stay till 2 o'clock in the morning, at the stadium working, but, but he had his own schedule, his own methods. And, but you had Dana Hogerson coming in as the ultimate shakeup staff change guy. And then you had at the same time that Whedon becomes the starting quarterback and Justin Blackman, they discover uh, this guy's like real, you know, he, Justin had 20 catches in 09, 20 catches and he goes from that to with Dana and Brandon Whedon in 2010 111 catches and the Blitnikoff oh, so man. I just think that is there a Dana Holgerson guy out there is there somebody who can shake it up uh energize the program I mean when they hired Dana it had as much of an impact on the defensive side of the program too because there was new hope uh, it just it just in, it instilled hope in every department of the program and everybody felt better about everything. Now it helps too, to have the best arm talent quarterback in the history of the program in Whedon. Uh, but I just think OSU, whether it's a coordinator change, uh, offensive line coaching change, 
uh, whatever it looks like or a combination of both of those, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it feels to me like the program today is right about at that same level. It was at the end of 09 in badly in need of a shakeup, fresh energy, new ideas. Uh, but at least in 09, you knew you had seen a glimpse of Whedon in the Colorado game, right? And you knew he could really fire the football. Going into this year, you don't know what the you don't know what the heck to expect at the quarterback position. So this is a massively critical offseason for Mike Gundy with regard to staff management, roster replenishment, uh, and figuring out, you know, who do I have here who can make a, a, a legitimate run to try to help us win 10 games? Uh, because that is the standard. That that anything below 10 wins to me now at Oklahoma State's a disappointment. Yeah, uh, because I, because I you've done it seven times, seven times now uh, in in the last uh, 12 years or so, whatever, seven times you've gotten to 10, at least 10 wins. So to me, that is the new standard, which is kind of mind blowing, considering they'd only done it like three times ever <laughs> before 2010. So uh, I'm kind of getting long winded here and I'm sorry, well, but. You're uh, fine, and I'm glad you brought up 2009 because I've made those same parallels. And and now the word trickling out of Stillwater is, you know, if Casey Dunn stays, it'll be because, you know, Mike will have more hands-on. And I'm just – I'm bewildered, Bill, when I think about it because Mike had to fire himself in 2009 right. for his involvement on the offense. And his solution is to almost give himself more responsibility with the offense when it didn't work, you know, 10, 11, 12 years ago, whatever that was. I mean – do you think Casey Dunn is the play caller next year based on things you've heard? And, and frankly, Bill, I'm concerned if it's, if the solution is, well, Mike's going to be more involved because we we've seen right. how that plays out over a, yeah. a long period of time. Yeah. No, the un how about the unforgettable images of Mike having his back to the playing field uh, when the right. defense was on the on field the equipment trunk, right? On the equipment truck talking to the quarterbacks. Right. So, um, Okay, so let's cast a net over this topic, and I would I would uh, throw a bigger net over it that would include marketing and season ticket sales. I think if I think if Oklahoma State stands pat with the offensive leadership, play calling, uh, decision making that it currently has right now, in combination with such uncertainty at quarterback, uh, if if healthy, maybe Alan Bowman's the answer. I, you know, we'll see, but it's been a big if on him staying healthy. Yeah, uh, and he hasn't, he hasn't really played meaningful football in three years. Yep. So, um, you know, I could see, you know, when the Oklahoma State people are confident with what they have at quarterback, and they feel good about the ability to of uh, 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 the offense to score, and that they're they've got a chance to, you know, to win eight, nine, ten games, season tickets. That that standard has been about forty five to forty eight thousand season tickets sold per year, and if if let's just say if OSU stands pat with its staff as we speak, combined with the uncertainty of quarterback, combined with the loss of so many receivers and you, and so many you know on the just skill position guys, you just lost so many. I just think there's a chance you could see quite a dip in season ticket sales. Now there's going to be uh, the loyal and true fans who are going to uh, 
they're going to re-up year in and year out regardless. When they get their renewal notices, they just put a rubber stamp on it and send it right back. Uh, and the same on their tailgate spot. They, they, they're not going to give that up. But there are those who I think make their decisions based on how the team looks and what they can they feel like they can expect the next season. And if coming off of a season when this was OSU's worst run game season since Les Miles' first year in the program, since 01, 125.6 yards per game on the ground, which Gundy's teams have either been really damn good running the football or there's been great balance, run pass balance. His better teams have, have always had that. This year, they could not run the football. Um, and then, you know, it, it, you know, everybody saw what happened in the second half of the season, and especially after Sanders got banged up in the K-State game. So, um, yeah, I, I just think that when decisions are made, 95% of it has to be on, obviously, very specifically on football. How does this affect football? But also, I think if you stand pat, with what feel, feels like a stale situation and an ineffective situation, you're taking a chance on on, on maybe going from 46, 48,000 on your season ticket sales to maybe below 40. Um, I could see that, especially, I mean, tickets are more expensive than ever. I I did some math last summer and figured. I just randomly picked a section and maybe it was 302 at Boone Pickens. I can't remember, but it, it was, these were like nosebleed in a relative sense. I don't think there's a bad seat at Boone Pickens anyway, but, but I picked kind of what would qualify as nosebleeds at Boone Pickens. And I figured up the cost of the season tickets for a family of four, the classic, you know, scenario family of four. And so the cost of the tickets plus, and then I, I factored in the cost of the fuel for a drive from Tulsa County, something to eat. I didn't even, I didn't even like get into the tailgate pricing or any of that. I just like going to the game, get something to eat, a couple of beers, tickets, whatever. And it was, it was 500. It comes out to about $500 a game wow. for a family of four. That's what, that's what it's come down to. And that's part of the reason you're only going to see about, 7,500 people, maybe 9,000 at most for Bedlam tonight basketball, because I believe that so many families have been forced to choose. Well, we got X amount of money here in our entertainment budget. And we used to go football basketball with our season tickets. Now we have to choose. Well, which, which one are we going to choose? We're going to go with the, the, uh, perennially underachieving basketball program, or are we going to go with a football program <laughs> that every once in a while here is pretty special. And, but yeah. that, that, that was what Mike Holder did 15 years ago. He rolled the dice when he spiked prices to such a high, much higher level on football and then put in, you remember Carson, you were on the beat at that time, the premium game policy. If you don't buy season tickets, you don't go to, you don't go to the Bedlam game or you don't get to go to the Texas game uh, if you're not a ticket holder. And that was Holder borrowed that that concept from Iowa State. And I remember when he told me about it and I thought, wow, I said, no, that's, <laughs> that's, that's kind of risky. You know what it was, though? It was, it was brilliant. Yeah, it because was in hindsight. OSU, as recently as 07, Carson, and this is crazy to think about. As recently as 07, they only sold 32,000 season tickets. 
Okay. And then there were a couple of years in the last 10 or so when they eclipsed 50,000 season tickets. So, but you know what they had in those years? They had like Whedon coming back as a senior or they had Mason Rudolph coming back as a senior. And then the OSU people said, hell yeah, let's go. And, and they buy those tickets. And, but I think it would really gash, especially still only a couple of years removed from the shutdown and the impact of that COVID had on, on university finances. If you had a, a, a setback of an off season this year with regard to season ticket sales, because that's the life's that's the life's blood of the athletic department. It's football tickets. It just is. Holder used to say it all the time. If you love OSU wrestling, buy football season tickets. If you love OSU tennis, buy OSU football season tickets. He said that he would say that to any audience who would listen. He said that at Boone's memorial service. Yeah. He did. I, I still can't believe that, yeah. but he did. But he had a big crowd, and he's like, "Crap, I'm going to do a little marketing here." And <laughs> and you know what? I actually think Boone would have approved of it. So uh, yeah. I didn't even think it was tacky. Uh, so. Uh, I don't know if I've answered any of your questions <laughs> at all, but I do think this is a really critical next few days, couple of weeks, whatever, with regard to decisions at Stillwater for Mike. Uh, they got a portal quarterback. That was a pressing, stressful deal for the fan base for a while. Got Alan Bowman, who went healthy. I thought he had an elite arm, a beautiful arm, and I thought he would fit right into that lineage of Texas Tech quarterbacks who could light it up. And then he gets a shoulder injury and then he gets a leg and then he ends up at Michigan and then he can't get on the field. So he comes back presumably really fresh and healthy. And after so much rust, can they knock that rust off in the spring and have him, you know, can he be a guy to win 10 games? And if not, the freshman from Nebraska, is he the second best quarterback on the roster or is it Garrett Rangel or is it Gunnar Gundy? I don't know, but it's that uncertainty I think that causes some people to pause uh and when they have to decide am i gonna am i gonna send the university forty five hundred dollars for my family's tickets this upcoming year uh so yeah i mean you have to think beyond just uh the football office. And O's, yeah yes you do carson you have to think about the bigger picture which is selling tickets and marketing the program and having the the fan base feel good about the direction well, and I, I think fans too, they vote with what you're mentioning. They're they're butts in the seat and you mm-hmm. know they're they're upgrading Boone Pickens with all these finances. And more than anything, Bill, I think if Mike were to stand pat with his staff, which I agree, I think is it's a very good comparison, I think, to the Clemson staff. You know, Dabo Swinney has kept a lot of guys that have only really coached at Clemson and they just got really stale. And what does he do? He just recently hired Lincoln Riley's little brother to, to kind of revamp right. a very much a Dana Holgerson type hire you mentioned back in 2009. I think fans, Bill, if they keep the same staff, which I'm glad you brought up your stat you put in your column. I was going to reference that. Bill wrote a column about Brennan Presley apparently going to stay in Stillwater, how great that is. But you brought up the stat that their worst rushing performance is 2001. I mean, that fans aren't dumb. And right. they're tired of watching inept offense lose four out of their last five games. And I, and I think, Bill, they kind of look at Mike being kind of having that rollover contract, making $7.5 million a year, kind of almost like looking down on Joe Blow fan. Like, I know better than you. I'll, I'll, I'll figure out a way to win 10 games. And I don't think – I think people are tired of it. I think they're tired yeah. of Mike's kind of whole shtick, really. Yeah. Hey, listen, I I, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like uh... – Mike 
has definitely he's a different guy than than the guy I covered his first seven years. His seventh season was the magical 2011 season, right? And um, probably the best working relationship with a coach I ever had was those first seven seasons with Mike. Now, there were times he wanted to wring my neck, and there were times I know he hated my guts, but but for the most part, we got along very well. And I guess it's, since it's been more than 10 years, I can go ahead and, and go public with this, but, you know um, – on the holder and picking side of the contract negotiation in 2011 that went into 2012, um, you know, they were really upset with me for writing so frequently on that topic. And I thought Mike at the time was underpaid. In fact, uh, Mike, I remember Mike and I discussing at a, a preseason practice or before the start of a preseason practice, like what the top 15 guys in the country were making. And 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 we were talking about what he thought would be fair at Oklahoma State. And I agreed with him that I thought that was fair. And uh, on both sides, fair for Mike to make that amount and fair uh, that it wouldn't hurt Oklahoma State. And now uh, – all these years later, and you got Mike making, I think Chris Kleiman's making three point five million as we speak. It's either three point five or four point five. I think it's three five right now. Chris Kleiman of the Big Twelve champion Kansas State Wildcats, right? And Mike is making four million dollars more uh, than Chris Kleiman. Now, I'm not saying Mike hasn't done an unbelievable job. I've got. I got a list of stuff in front of me. When when you look at the big picture of what he's done, it's shocking. And in some regards, if you consider resources, com- comparing resources and tradition and all of it, I would argue even that Mike has done as good a job at Oklahoma State as Nick Saban has done at Alabama. I w- and I am would not back away from that either. But I do wonder about the wisdom of giving a guy seven and a half million dollars at a school that has a 55,000 seat stadium and really a, in the power five, kind of a mid-level sized fan base. And you wonder, well, I mean, can OSU, it's not whether OSU wants to pay Mike that amount. It's whether OSU should, whether it's a little reckless or even irresponsible to pay one person that amount of money. Um, so, and like I said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing Mike for getting it and and it for getting that money. But I, if I remember right, I mean, as I understand it, Mike didn't negotiate his most recent raise. They just gave it to him. <laughs> they were, they were, they were like, they wouldn't. And I don't remember anybody like trying to hire him in that moment. They just gave him a raise, like a big. Well, raise. he has he has done his fair share of flirting, we will say. But, oh, no doubt. But to no your point, they lose out on they lose out on Jim Knowles because they were a few hundred thousand short of Ohio State. I had heard Bill that Jim Knowles was willing to stay if the number was right, and they they right. came up a little short, and that's where that seven and a half million goes, I guess. What if Mike made five and a half mil here, and and you suddenly have two million dollars you weren't expecting? I mean, what could you do with that? You 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 commit some of it to your staff. You maybe. Maybe you bring in two or three more analysts. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, for, for the greater good. I mean, I, I mean, and, I mean, good lord. Uh, but when when I saw that that he was going to be raised to seven plus million dollars, 
uh, and to be one of the whatever he is now. And I'm pretty I think he's pretty secure in the top 10, maybe top 12 in the country. I'm cool with that with regard to what Mike has done for the program. And he's still only a few months removed from a 12 win Fiesta Bowl season. Right. And the, <laughs> that did and the, happen. Yes. And the, yeah. And the great logo victory and all that uh, over Notre Dame. And so I'm just saying, you know, I would like to have, uh, you know, a 6,000 square foot house with two pools and, and a, and a basketball gym, you know, below street level. I have a friend who actually built below street level. I'm not kidding about this. A gym, a basketball gym below street level. Now he's a, he's a very, uh, uh, I can go and say it. he's a wealthy guy and in, in, in here in town, here in Tulsa. And, but he, he built below street level under his house, a full gym with a digital scoreboard, a locker room. Uh, and, and, and would I like to have that? Hell yeah, I'd like to have that. But I mean, I can't, I can't afford that. And I just really wonder, can Oklahoma State really afford a seven and a half million dollar football coach? Yeah, I mean, it's a, real. it's a fair question. And I've always been. Or Carson, aren't K-State and, and OSU kind of. Yes. Totally similar. Extremely comparable with regard to, to fan base size, finances, uh, all of it. And, yeah. and yet, one's and got. I, I will say this, though, Bill. Like, and I, dollar, anyway. No, I, I will. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Bill, but I, I will say mm-hmm. this, and I've, I've been bringing this up over the last 10 years, really. Like, Oklahoma State, whenever Boone and, and Mike Gundy came to power in terms of the football program, they've really been ahead of the curve in paying assistant coaches. Like, they, they paid Mike Yursich coming from Podunk, Shippensburg, like half a million dollars. That wasn't yeah. the market for him. Like they, they paid Larry Fedora. They, they've paid their assistant coaches well enough to be more selective and go get the best guy. And I think that's where a lot of my frustration is watching OSU football. Casey Dunn's paid $900,000, not including raises. Like somebody else can do a better job than that based on the product we've been talking about with their, right. what their offense has been doing. Now, um, you know, I, you know, here's another area in which Mike Holder deserves credit uh, is my now I'm sure Mike Gundy requested it or suggested it. But but Holder was he didn't even blink in the beginning. I mean, OSU was giving guys like DeForest and Wickline multi-year contracts when like 98 percent of the other position coaches and for that matter, even coordinators at that time were on a year to year to year basis, right? Single year contracts. And and OSU was way ahead. Uh I remember when Fedora got raised from like two hundred thousand a year to three ninety three. They almost doubled his money in, in one in one pop. And I thought, wow, that is that's that's seriously aggressive, smart uh staff management right there. And of course Larry had another great year in 07. Uh uh, famously, I'll never forget that season because OSU by the end of the 07 season had exactly 3,161 rushing yards, 3,100, 3,100, 3,161 passing and rushing, if I could get it out. I, I've never seen that before. Exact balance. Exact. I remember that. And, and so, and then Fedora, you know, after that, he's out of here. Uh, and then, and then that began the two years of Mike Gundy coordinating with, you know, uh, like Robert Matthews, coasted quarterbacks and Gunner Brewer, coasted receivers. And they were all, 
and like like nine guys had a co-offensive coordinator title or something. And uh, and then Dana. Uh, but I just feel like right now, uh, especially in light of the fact that OSU now has broken the ceiling on paying seven-figure uh, dollar amounts to assistant coaches, um, Mason and Knowles. Uh, did Knowles make more than a million? I can't remember. I think uh, so. Uh, I, I know they certainly were offering him a very generous – I think he did too. I think he was offered a really uh, nice increase to stay, but, of course, Ohio State knocked that out of the water. And um, so um, – but it just feels like to me right now that OSU needs the kind of shakeup and the kind of fresh energy that it needed – uh, whatever 13 years ago and um and that's why i think is i think mike's sitting on that right now and trying to figure out he probably would agree with me that that's needed but he's trying to figure out also who might be available and what would that look like and um so you know hey the rams I mean, I haven't. I, I've been so busy on the stuff I'm working on. I mean, has McVay decided what he's going to do with the Rams? He has. He's he's told people he's coming back. Okay. Well, then Zach Robinson is still on that staff with the Rams. How do I not see that McVay staying? That's interesting. Okay. So, presumably they threw a party yet or not? But that was kind of the word coming out from NFL reporters that I follow. Okay. Well, then presumably Zach Robinson will stay as a quarterback's coach with the Rams, which would be his fifth season upcoming. Um, after he, for years, was the most in-demand quarterback instructor in DFW, uh, which is quite a distinction in and of itself. Mm-hmm. And so would Zach Robinson be an interesting staff addition? You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yes, he would. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking rhetorically because hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Uh, a cow, a former cowboy, a former total uh, career total. He broke Mike's record for career total offense. Uh, great personality guy. He's only like 36, 37 years old. Uh, and if you circle back to what I said about 30 seconds ago, uh, the most in-demand quarterback instructor in DFW. So he's on a first-name basis with every significant oh, yeah. school program in Dallas, Fort Worth, right? So checks a lot of boxes with McVeigh too. I don't even know. I have no idea what he's making with the Rams. I would guess maybe 350 something as a quarterback coach with the Rams, maybe 400, 450. I don't know. I'm just saying uh, is after four years of coaching quarterbacks. And I don't know if you saw it in the post game when Baker Mayfield had that amazing Thursday night debut member with the Rams uh, when he got there on Tuesday and he started on Thursday and won the game. Uh, like the first thing he had to say in the post game on the turf was to credit Zach Robinson for for a great rush job on helping him, you know, get familiar with what that they broke do. my brain. Yeah, so <laughs> so that put Zach Robinson back in my mind, you know, as a guy uh, who knows the culture, was an extremely popular cowboy, a uh, very productive cowboy. Uh, and I remember telling Zach in an interview, I said, you know, at some point, if you come back to Oklahoma and you decide you want to be the governor of the state, you could be because he he's just he's got amazing people skills. And uh, so anyway, um, 
Yeah, he's a good I don't know what I, I don't fit. pretend to. Yeah, I don't pretend to know what Mike's thinking right now, but yeah. uh, but 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 Mike's a smart guy. Here's how smart he is. Uh, this is a stat I crunched uh, specifically for for Carson Cunningham. Okay. Oh, now I feel special. Let's hear it. Yeah. Well, and I'm gonna I'm gonna borrow it for print as well. But in 72 seasons after the creation of the AP poll, which happened in th- 19. 19- 36 set for two years osu played a total of 15 games while ranked in the ap top 10 okay 15 games in 72 years osu was in the ap top 10 only 15 games since 08 since 2008 mike gundy's teams have played in 41 games while ranked in the national top 10 (laughs) in all but like two of those seasons they were in the top 25 at some point and in most of those years they were in the top 15 so what mike has done is and i don't back off what i said about i mean nick saban's one in a million he's 71 he has just finished his 50th consecutive season of coaching 50 and yet he was in tulsa uh in like mid-december carson to visit the homes of uh uh the two Bixby kids, you know, the Has yeah. twin, and then uh, uh, Cole Adams at Owasso, who was a Alabama commit already. And Nick Saban looked fresh, looked great, had on a great jacket. I was like, damn, that's a good-looking jacket. So I think Nick Saban's – my point is, though, at 71, I don't sense any any diminishing of his competitive fire – uh, his energy and his ability to close the deal on recruiting. And what I do wonder, I, I wrote this in 20, there was a signing day news conference in uh, December of 18. And Mike's, Mike Gundy seemed exhausted, just exhausted and not terribly fired up on a day when you really should, even if you don't feel t- particularly fired up that day, for whatever reason, maybe he had a headache, maybe he didn't feel well. I don't know, but you got to kind of fake it and you got to seem excited about the guys you're bringing in. <laughs> and I remember nothing about that recruiting class right off the bat. I don't, but I, I wrote coming out of that. In fact, I will just read verbatim what I wrote. Considering his longevity in a demanding business, Mike Gundy's 51. He's been a college football coach for 29 seasons. That was in 18, 29 seasons. He probably would deny it, but is it possible he is contending with the effects of burnout? And I was wondering at that time, has some of Mike's competitive fire? Is it? I remember it, that column. Yeah, and and my, now Mike had some fun with it on Twitter, and denied it. And uh, but you know now now he's beyond thirty three seasons. He has coached. He is now going into his nineteenth year, which means he will have coached the Cowboys longer. Then Bud Wilkinson, Barry Switzer, or Bob Stoops coach the Sooners. That's a hard job. Uh, uh, Coaching, you know, at any level of college football is a hard job. Uh, Doing it when you've got a superpower down the road like OU uh, makes it even more difficult. Uh, So I just wonder, um, you know, too, if Mike – you know, and Mike has had – remember the infamous 2014 
Bedlam News Conference? Oh, yeah. I was there. Mm-hmm. And you thought, wow. You know, Mike, he just seemed so tired and so sick at so sick of it all. They had lost five in a row. The offense was struggling. They were, you know, they start the season with JUW and he breaks his foot and then they go with Max Garman and then he gets beat up and then and then uh then they strip the red shirt off of Mason and he plays pretty well at Baylor in the rain. Uh I'll never forget that game. And then uh and then you you know the Monday news conference before Bedlam, and you're thinking, like, man, Mike. Uh, but he he just seemed miserable that day. And then Tyreek Hill returns the punt and they get bowl eligibility and they had the really interesting, fun bowl win over Washington, the James Castleman check uh, engine light game. He gave me that quote. I was the one that broadcast the, the check engine light quote from right. that, that was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, it was, it was. And so, and then after that, Mike was really energized again. And I, so at different times over what's creeping up on 20, he's getting creeping up on 20 years as the head coach at Oklahoma state. Uh, so, you know, you're going to have lulls, you're going to have ebbs and flows and high points and low points. It, it's inevitable. Uh, and Mike has always bounced back. Right. And now it's time for a Mike Gundy bounce back. And whether that means he needs to be energized himself by a staff shakeup or if Alan Bowman can like pull a Brandon Whedon out of his hat. And <laughs> I don't think that's amazing. likely, but we'll, well see. I, no, but, but you didn't, but even seeing what you saw from Whedon on the practice field or in the Colorado game in 09, nobody thought he was going to do what he did. Well, that's None. true. And nobody saw. Blackman going from 20 catches to 111, you don't know. I mean, yeah, it's pro it's probably it, it's highly improbable, I would say, but you never know. But I do feel like the the program and Mike himself need a shot of energy, like a some sort of figurative double shot Red Bull of change. And uh so is well, Mike is Mike standing pat, or is he going to make that kind of a change? That's what we'll see in the next few days or a few weeks. Well, that's a concern, and we won't know till it happens. But what about this bill? Like, it's clear. I mean, all the guys that have left in the portal, they don't even mention the coaching staff on their way out the door. It appears that Mike has drifted back to where he was when the whole OAN Chuba thing occurred, where there was no communication with players, and you know, so he needs a staff shakeup, Bill, but it seems as if he's right back to where he was when his own team, his own players are citing a lack of communication, a lack of relationship. Can right. Mike resolve that? Or is this, is the game kind of passing him by? Cause you know, he, he turned about face and corrected that and they went on to have a great season after that, or a couple of great seasons, but what's going on, Bill? <laughs> are we back to where we were with the whole fiasco with OAN? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know that anything – I don't know if that much really changed with regard to Mike and his relationships with the players. I don't. I don't mean – because think about it. Um, I don't even know what that would look like. If he's – what's it – does that mean during the stretch line before practices, he's go around and hug everybody? and Or is he, is he engaged in deep conversation with guys – well, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't expect him to be doing TikTok dances with him in the locker right. room. But what I do expect him, and he came out and was quoted as saying that he will not discuss 
his own players' futures? Should they be wrestling with the idea of going in the portal? He said, you know what? They've got handlers. They're going to do what they're going to do, and I don't talk to them. Shouldn't he be re-recruiting these guys, considering the day and age we live in now with the transfer portal? Right. No, I, th- I, I think, um, yeah, I think there would be great value in having almost like an exit interview process at the, you know, like the Thunder does. Uh, not with the media necessarily, but with Mike. Uh, and maybe not 85 guys, but maybe with 30 of them and just find out what do you think is good about what we're doing right now and what would you like to see change? Uh, I think with veteran players, uh, like, I mean, Brock Martin, Colin Oliver, uh, just, you know, even if it's only 12 or 15 guys, I think spending – a few minutes in, in real conversation with those guys uh, would have a lot of value. So, but I think if Mike suddenly uh, became a, a touchy feely, uh, more affectionate kind of a coach, uh, I just think it would, it, the players would recognize that it wasn't authentic because Mike's never really been that way. Now, he, he was kind of a different guy. I would say those first seven years, definitely different with the media. Uh, I don't pretend to know exactly what he was like day to day behind the scenes, but I don't think he's ever been. And I don't know, honestly, that any, I don't think there's very many college coaches other than Tom Herman, who's kissing his guys on the cheek as they get off the bus. I don't know how many major college coaches even have time to have those kinds of relationships, but I know if enough people are saying there's an issue with relationships in the program, then there is. I don't know exactly how would that, that would be defined, but if enough of those kinds of people and departing players are saying that, then obviously there's an issue. Uh, how you fix it, if it, whether it's more of a staff fix. I, I mean, I know the one guy who is universally loved by current and former players is Rob Glass. And Mike told me in January of 05, after he hired Rob, Mike said, Rob Glass may end up being the most important hire I ever make. Undoubtedly, he was the most important hire Mike ever made uh, because OSU's won a ton of games because of Rob Glass. And I could I could name 10 of them right now when OSU's guys were fresh in the fourth quarter and the other guys weren't. And, and that's Rob Glass. And Rob Glass has an amazing ability to work these guys' guts out, and they don't hate it. They don't hate him. And yet he's very, very demanding. And very few strength coaches can get away with that. Um, so I don't know exactly. I mean, I heard at the uh, at Edmond at the state championship uh, weekend for prep football. You know, I had a. I saw an OSU person and we, t- we talked about the state of the program and uh, you know, there, and it all circled back with that guy to relationships and said, so, you know, we're, we're not where we should be with regard to relationships, you know, in the locker room and inside the program. So I don't know how you fix that because I don't really know what the issue is. I, you know what I mean? But that word relationships keeps popping up and I know he was instructed, Mike was, in 2020 for that aspect of the program to get better. Uh, I'm just not sure how you make it better. Um, and there's always going to be disgruntled players. That's that's universal. 
It's impossible to have a hundred happy guys. It's impossible. Um, so, but I know that Mike has uh, worked his way out of low points before, and now he has the opportunity to do it again. I just don't know if it centers on a new coordinator, a new O-line coach, a new approach, uh, a, re- a complete reboot on, of the offensive side of the program like you had with Dana. Uh, and then like Todd Munkin was amazing as the next guy after Dana. Uh, I don't know what it's going to look like, but I don't. I bet I don't think uh, it's going to be very. Um, I don't think the OSU fan base is going to feel very uh, fired up if there's mostly a stand pat situation going into spring football. If if kind of the same people are doing the same stuff going into spring football, I think I think the uh, I think it could have a real effect on season tickets, and that's so critically important at OSU to sell those football tickets to make everything else work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I wrote. Oh my goodness! Uh, I guess right after, maybe right after the uh, Wisconsin game, you know, I, that I I said this first month of the Mike Gundy offseason is going to be very eventful, very eventful, and it has been. But I think it's going to extend beyond just that first month, and. Um, I think there's more to come. I just don't know what exactly it's going to look like. Yeah, and two more questions. One, I want to ask you about the column you're you're going to be writing. I know you're fired up to to write it and, and talk about it. But one more question before we get to that final one. You know, it's been all hunky dory between Chad Weiberg, Doctor Shrum, and Mike Gundy. We got a logo too, and we're a united front. No more Mike Holder and and uh, a thorn in Mike Gundy's side, but. Now, Bill, I think some real difficult conversations have to occur between Chad Weiberg, Dr. Shrum, and Mike Gundy. I think it it details a lot of what you and I were talking about with potential staff changes and fan unrest and worrying about season ticket sales. How do you think their relationship is today? And and how do you think Chad Weiberg and, and Dr. Shrum will go about, you know, <laughs> dealing with a made man, a football coach who you mentioned, been there two decades, and um, trying to tell a football guy what to do with his football program? How, that's a very awkward conversation, is it not? Right. Well, you know, but President Shrum, as I understand it, pretty much uh, as I understand it, the, the most recent decision to raise Mike beyond seven mil was Casey Shrum's d- idea. And it was her call. It was not her responding or approving somebody else's or Chad's. And if I'm wrong, Chad can call me and tell me. But but but. I, I'm hearing it from the right people that it was President Shrum's idea to raise him to that level of money, to raise Mike to that level of money. So obviously Casey Shrum is a Mike Gundy fan and is a believer in what the future looks like, uh, you know, for four, five, eight more years of Mike Gundy. Um, so, no, I mean, but also I, I think the stakes are too high to, you know, you can't be timid. And you can't just like like pretend like there aren't issues, and uh, you can't have a season unravel the way this one did without uh, everybody having to take a hard look at it, ask questions: Why and how do we not? How do we? What do we got to fix or change so that this does not happen again? And of course, you know, no amount of meetings or zooms or planning can. Uh, you know, you're still going to have situations where a quarterback breaks out of the pocket and gets knocked down on his shoulder, and then the season 
gets impacted in a terrible way after that. But that's just a football thing. But with regard to human relations, program management, roster management, um, relationships, there's that word again. Um, no, I, I, I don't think uh, Chad nor the president is going to be uh, shy about expressing exactly what they think to Mike. Uh, and I know Mike isn't shy. And I just think that, you know, for the greater good of the school and the program, I mean, football has got to be healthy. It just does. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. Uh, it's, it's, you know, to this day, I mean, all the times I've walked that campus on game day from the parking garage to the press box elevator, I never, I'm never blind to the phenomenon of Oklahoma State tailgating because at the beginning of the Les Miles years, there was no tailgating. And I remember Terry Don and Les Miles really banged the drum to get that rolling. And I would say OSU's tailgate culture now is as good as there is. And it's so impressive. And you don't want to see any kind of step back with regard to engagement and that tailgate scene and the walk from the student union to the stadium, man, that 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 is as cool uh, a game day tradition as there is now, anywhere. And you don't want that to cool off. And but if you, you know, if you're not scoring touchdowns and and if you're going one and five during the second half of the season, uh, and you're doing it more than once stuff will cool off and and it, the stakes are too high. And I just remember a few months ago talking about, well, what, what does Oklahoma state do have to do to be clearly defined as the uh, number one football program in the new big 12. Right. And in the post OU Texas big 12 and you're like, K state's like, hold my beer. Uh, <laughs> K-State ain't going away. Chris Kleiman, I love that hire from the from day one. And K-State, apparently K-State got it right in basketball too. But, yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, but K-State's not going away. Sonny Docks isn't going away. Uh, Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda's not going away. Yep. Uh, Texas Tech. They're trending in the right Ooh, way. He, he's got it going too. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, there's some there's some people coming for the Mike Gundy's throne of you know everyone right. thought he would inherit when OU and Texas leave. So now, like I said, you know Mike Gundy. Now, now that we've creep crept beyond the 2022 season and we're going into 23, Mike Gundy now has coached the Cowboys longer than Bud Wilkinson, Bob Stoops, and Barry Switzer coached sooner. So, uh, does Mike have to reinvent himself? Uh, or make drastic changes. I think I, the reinvent, not so much, but changes. Uh, yeah. Anytime something gets stale and it's not working and in anything football or otherwise, uh, you got to make changes. So uh, if there aren't significant changes soon, I'm going to wonder why. And I think a lot of the people who write those big checks for those tickets and those tailgate spots, uh, and those donations are going to wonder why too. And you don't want that to cool off and, and you, you've got to have it. If you're going to make tennis and wrestling and everything else work, football has got to be healthy. So mm -hmm. the big next few weeks, it's already been a big few weeks for Mike, uh, mostly on the negative side. And now the next few weeks need to be really exceedingly positive. And the, and the OSU people have to feel good about the direction of the program.
Bill, I appreciate all your time. Tell me what you're working on. You kind of mentioned a column you're working on this week. Um, I'm very interested, to, very interested to learn more about it and uh, tell the folks what we can look forward to. Well, I mean, honestly, I kind of teased it a little bit and I got a lot more digging to do on it, but okay. I'm really interested to, to, to talk with Zach Robinson about maybe uh, not necessarily the OSU job, but or or an OSU job, but or a staff position, but just to find out, you know, what he aspires to become if he sees himself as an NFL lifer. Because after four years and after really this seed was planted the night Baker Mayfield bragged about Zach Robinson on national TV and saying, Zach Robinson, hey, all credit to this guy. He got me ready to play this game. And I thought, yep. I, I need to catch up with Zach. And in fact, I texted him like the next day and we agreed we would talk very soon. And so I'm going to do a little bit of a deeper dive into what his career has looked like and what his career, what he would kind of like his career to look like ultimately. But yeah, I mean, ever since uh, it became obvious that, that probably OSU's got to make some sort of change on the offensive side of the program. I've been kind of fascinated by the potential of what if, you know, what if Zach Robinson came back uh, as a play caller, quarterback coach for Oklahoma State. Um, although Tim Rattay, I hear good things. I hear great things about Tim Rattay and the quarterbacks. But I'm just saying uh, when things don't go well, typically you got – I mean, not typically. You know, you do have to make changes. Uh, if you stand pat, if you stand still, you're just asking for it. So, um, no, I'm going to I'm going to talk with Zach Robinson. And and, uh, and now you tell me it looks like McVay's going to stay. So I'm presuming that Zach will stay. And so he'll be going into a fifth year. If he stays with the Rams, he'll be going to a fifth year of NFL coaching. And uh, but I do love what I love about Zach, in addition to his Oklahoma State history, is his history as an instructor in Dallas, Fort Worth, and the fact that he has so many relationships in the Metroplex, which mm -hmm. obviously with recruiting being so critically important. And for that matter, I mean, you know, relationships can be just as important uh, when you're getting a guy out of the portal or you're looking around and you say, Hey, you know, uh, I worked with that kid's older brother, or I worked with that guy's head football coach in high school. And, and you never know. You start connecting dots and making calls. And so anyway, I'm I'm gonna take a good look at what Zach Robinson's doing, what he's been doing, and what he might do, uh, and what he aspires to be, what he wants to be doing two or three years from now. And if he would consider, you know, uh if he would like to be a play caller and a and a coordinator at the college level. Yeah, that'd be fascinating. I I kind of wonder about guys' eagerness to go to college game with all the recruiting and portal and stuff. The NFL seems like a pretty sweet gig, but, man, that would be a obviously just a tremendously popular hire uh, there in Stillwater and for OSU fans because Zach's one of the most well-liked players to ever play there, and uh, he's been on this podcast before. Great dude, and uh, we look forward to your calling, Bill. Bill, you, you can go, man. I can go another two hours with you if I had time. I got to get back to my day job. Hey, I know, I know. I, I, yeah, I've got to, I've got to jump on something else too. But um, if we did go another hour, you know what we could talk about the Thunder. We could talk about the Thunder for oh yeah, an hour. Uh, oh, they're 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 a problem again. I mean, they're 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 mm -hmm. loaded for bear, and they're going to keep on drafting dudes, and they're going to have so many picks they can eventually overwhelm somebody and get a 
get a final piece. But uh, for all the for all the talking heads on ESPN wondering if Sam Presti was the guy to be the guy to rebuild this thing, like how how stupid do they look right now? Well, right. You know, I, I heard uh, a podcast, Chris Lowe's podcast, a couple of days ago, and Bill Simmons, or maybe it was the no, it was Chris Lowe's podcast, and so Bill Simmons was on with him, and they committed like half of the podcast to the thunder. It was the most positive shot of national media conversation for the thunder in years. And they both agreed too that if they were to pick just the five best guys out of the Western conference, who should be all-star starters, that they would both pick SGA ahead of, uh, ahead of Steph Curry and ahead of John Morant. And they would have, that's a mouthful. (laughs) <laughs> Luca and SGA, both of those guys said they would have Luca and SGA as if if you did the old uh, West versus East format. Yeah. That, How many times that, did Bill bring up the Harden trade though? Uh, I don't remember any reference to the Harden trade. That's a first for him, right? And you know, uh, real quick, I would say if you saw Mark Dagnalt's post game in Brooklyn the other night. Uh, you know, because he seems kind of uh, uh, he's a lot like Sam, very measured. Uh, rarely do you kind of get a glimpse of his real personality, but he was really good in that post game. And and you know, you could tell a couple of the New York writers kind of tried to get him to talk about stuff he wasn't really excited to talk about, but the way he didn't talk about it was clever. And <laughs> I had a talk with Mark Dagnott here when the Thunder played. Um, uh, their exhibition game. They play that annual exhibition game in Tulsa each year. And so, you know, Bruce Springsteen is playing. Bruce, uh, Mark Dagnall is, Mark Dagnall is a, a, a beyond a diehard Bruce Springsteen fan. He is like, like, like Bill Walton with the Grateful Dead. I mean, yeah. so Springsteen's playing Kansas City one night and then two nights later, like Tulsa. Right. And it's during the all-star break. So Mark Dagnall gets to go to both shows. And I said, you know, what are the odds that <laughs> ABA head coach is going to get to see Springsteen twice in season? <laughs> and he, I mean, he was fired up to talk about it. That's funny. Fact, I, I got about three syllables into that question. And Mark Dagnall said, here we go. And <laughs> you could just tell, I mean, he was fired up to talk about it. So I think Mark Dagnall is a perfect guy. Now I do believe the perfect guy for this team at this time. Mm-hmm. And just the pieces fit, man. And SGA is an unselfish superstar. And I, here I am going off on the thunder and, but we yep, can talk. About we haven't it. done that in a while. <laughs> no, that's right. But, but it's, it feels good to kind of talk about the thunder, right? Uh, yes or no staff changes occur or not gun to your head. Yes, I would say I would say yes. I, I I think I don't like I say I don't know if it if it goes all the way up to the coordinator position or if it involves uh, reassignments or whatever. But I would say yes. Uh, coming off of that season with a run game that ranked about a hundredth in the country, with a run game that was the program's worst in twenty one years. Um, yeah, you, and and you know, I mean, the offense. Don't get me started on the offensive line because that's been a nine year issue. Oh, yeah. Nine. It, they've either been average or or below average or worse for nine years. And I'm like, y'all might as well either fix this or build a wick line statue. We'll yep. pick one because yep. wick lines t- offensive lines were unbelievable. They were they had the best offensive line culture in the Big 12 for about six years. I would say 06 through 11. 
uh, or even you could extend it to 12. Um, but OSU was either first or second in, in rushing those years and gave up no more than like 12 sacks a year all those years. So protection and run game blocking, OSU was as good as there was in the conference. And I'm like, they were doing it with guys like Andrew Lewis from Joplin, Missouri, who didn't have – the only other offer he had was like Missouri State. Yep. So, <laughs> I remember that. I remember him. Yeah. Right. So uh, – yeah, now that they got to get that fixed, Bill. One last question, I got to go. Uh, Spencer yep. Sanders going to handcuff himself to the goalposts in Stillwater to make sure uh, he comes back, or what? He's still out of school. Say that last part again. He still didn't have. He's still not doesn't have a school. We don't know where he's going to oh, play next year. Right, right, right. Um, I don't know what he's going to do. I don't know if if he was delusional with regard to what he would command on the NIL market and some of that, or if. You know, the reasons why he is a, still a free agent, I don't I don't know all those reasons. Uh, but you hear about the stuff that went down in early December. And, I, you know, I, I'm amazed that he's still uh, in Oklahoma at all. I thought by now he would be, you know, in class elsewhere and and uh, ready to roll. But, um, yeah, that was – That deal. was – yeah, a really weird deal. I mean, and there's so much more beyond just the him, uh, but kind of a trickle down effect to the receiver room, that mm-hmm. situation. And and uh, you're hearing everything I'm hearing, and probably, you know what? And I would be more candid about it and talk about it more specifically if I knew that what I'm told is true. But I don't want to roll out some stuff and be irresponsible in case that there's been some exaggeration on some of this stuff, but, it, but what some of most of what you're hearing with regard to what went down from the, let, let's say after the West Virginia game through the end of the month, that ain't good. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know what Spencer will do or where he will do it. Um, I do think it's unfortunate though, that a guy who played that much football at Oklahoma state and, and had more good than bad, uh, uh, I think it's unfortunate that he may not be remembered as fondly as he should be because it didn't end very well. And because there's been some weirdness on social media. Yeah. We, there's two sides, to every story right now. We're only kind of right. the only thing public right now is kind of the one side coming out of Stillwater. I'm looking forward to if, and when Spencer will talk or we'll just see where he's going to play next year. But Bill, you've been great, man. I got to get out of here. You're the best. Um, Look forward to your ne- your ne- your uh, next column on Oklahoma State, and who knows, maybe we can take in a Thunder playoff game together soon. I would love that. Hey, playoff! What a keyword that is. In Man, that. music to my ears. Appreciate right. it, Bill. I'll see you later, Carson. All right, see you later.